Wildling Press presents How Do I Book? Welcome to How Do I Book by Wildling Press. We like to chat about book writing, book publishing, book marketing, and of course, book reading. We're trying to help new and experienced authors develop their craft, widen their perspectives, and learn to get a little wild every once in a while. I'm Christina. I'm Grace. And we are so excited because we have a very special guest with us today, Lucy Holland, author of Sister Song and the World Maker Trilogy, host of Breaking the Glass Slipper, an intersectional feminist podcast celebrating women in genre fiction, and a pretty freaking cool person. Lucy, welcome to the show. Thank you. That makes me seem cooler than I actually am, but I'm really (laughs) happy to be here. (laughs) I just read facts. That's exactly how cool you are. Yes. (laughs) Well, thank you. It's really nice to be here too. We are so excited to have you here. Before we move any further, please tell the listeners, what are your pronouns? Um, she or her. Awesome. Thank you so much. Um, and for Grace and I as well, she, her. Mm-hmm. We invited you on this podcast because last year, Grace and I both read Sister Song. And I actually, not a fangirl too hard, but I read 100 books last year and it was my favorite book of the year. Yeah. So. Oh, wow. Okay. <laughs> Thank you very much. <laughs> it was uh I mean, well, I'll just let you tell the listeners a little bit about Sister Song in case they haven't read it. Okay, so uh, Sister Song is um, a reimagining of an old English murder ballad called The Trois Sisters. It is also called Bonnie Swans, uh, Binori, has many names. It is basically the story of sibling rivalry. Two sisters fight over a man in the ballad. Um, the older one kills the younger one and the younger one gets made into a harp. It's usually a harp. Sometimes she turns into a swan. Um, but the version of the ballad that I heard first was um, when the sister gets made into a harp. And uh, that intrigued me so much that I wanted to do um, a retelling of it. So my retelling is set in 6th century Britain. It restores and kind of resituates uh, the history of the, the stories of women Um, in the period. And it also, at the same time as retelling the ballad, I thought it would be a really great opportunity to look at women in the period, also marginalised identities in the period as well. Mm. It does such a wonderful job of all of those things you just listed. And when we were reading it, we read it with um, a book club that we're both a part of. And someone did share that legend. I'm the kind of person where when I'm reading, I can really turn off like a critical brain. I'm just like, wow, what a cool story. But other people, you know, are like, this seems like it's based on something. But they were sure to say, don't read this if you don't want any spoilers. But reading the myth and then reading your story, I was like, wow, this is a really cool thing. Yeah, I kind of went into it in a similar way as you did, Christina. I'd never heard the myth or the ballad or anything. So I was along for the ride, let me tell you. I had no idea what was coming. (laughs) And what a ride it truly is. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, it can be a bit of a shock if you're not expecting the the thing. Right, right. Mm-hmm. Yep. Yep. Uh, I, I was, was shocked. shocked. <laughs> <laughs> well, and I think that that, well, whatever. We don't have to give everything away. Read the book if Read you want to learn more about what we're talking about. Yeah. 
Lucy, you mentioned that you heard the ballad, the myth and everything. But what actually inspired you about the ballad so much that you wanted to write this book? So I heard the ballad first uh, by Lorena McKennett, who is one of my favorite artists, singers. Um, oh my gosh, amazing. I, know th- I know her. I ah! Wait, hold on, let me see. No, no, no. Wow, fangirl moment. <laughs> Let me see. Did she? Oh, my God. Yes. I've watched her like live concerts or whatever. Her concerts on streaming or whatever. OK, <laughs> I love that. I love that so much. <laughs> Yay! I love meeting Lorena fans as well, because, yeah, everyone I've uh, spoken to, they're like, oh, yeah, I know that. I knew that ballad and I knew that song. And it's one of my favorites. It's big kind of like Celtic women energy, you know, like very like ethereal and like timeless I don't know you'll just have to check it out for yourself yeah look I love Lorena's music and um her version of the Twa Sisters which is called Bonnie Swans if you want to look it up is my favorite rendition of the ballad that I've heard and I've listened to quite a lot of them there are many many good versions out there but Lorena's remains my favorite um and I first heard it about gosh getting on for 10 years ago now my colleague at work brought Lorena in one day and played it to me and from the first moment that I heard it, I just was intrigued by the weirdness of the story because mm-hmm. sibling rivalry is not weird. We see this quite a lot, especially jealous women. Um, we often see, you know, tensions between siblings in ballads, but not this extra level, which is this girl being, I suppose, dismembered and then made into a musical instrument like in the ballad. And I just thought that was such a weird image, this also a powerful image, the image of this harp that is made of bone that sings the story of what happened to her and condemns her sister. Um, I just thought that was so, so weird. But at the same time, the thing that we don't get with the ballad, because it is, after all, just a ballad, it's only you know six or seven verses long, we don't really get a good idea of who these women were. We have no idea what really motivated them. They've become very stereotypical. You know, on one hand, we have the evil older sister who is jealous and lustful and scheming. And on the other hand, we have the younger, chaste, virginal, innocent victim. And these two very different roles are women often have to play them. They, you know, we see them a lot in in traditional folk ballads um, and also just throughout stories. It's why it's one of the reasons why I kind of feel like, you know, this is why women's stories are important, because we just don't get to hear them actually speak authentically. They all too often fall into these very broad, very tropey, um, very stereotypical roles. Uh, so I wanted to kind of get behind the ballad and find out, you know, what really happened. And you did a wonderful job because reading this, I just felt so much for Riva the whole time. I was like, oh, my gosh, like I don't necessarily like support her actions, her positions, but like I really understand where she's coming from. Yeah. And Cinna as well. Is that how you pronounce that? Cinna? I mean, you can pronounce it. However, okay, cool. it's I just made it up. So <laughs> it was the oh, one great. name. Okay. <laughs> it was the one name in the book that I literally made up. And it's oh, I love it. <laughs> Um, and in the original ballad is the eldest sibling because Sister Song has three siblings in it. And is the is the eldest sibling part of the original ballad? So, yeah, in lots of versions of the ballad, there are two sisters and it is called Two Sisters, Two Sisters. 
It's just interesting that Lorena's version, um, which she was, I think, adapted from James Child, who was um, a folklorist uh, in the Victorian age, um, and he collected about 10 or 11 variations of the same ballad. Um, but a couple of those variations have a third sibling in there. And the third sibling is mentioned in the first verse and then totally disappears from the rest of the story. And mm. it was another one of the reasons why I wanted to write, well, I wanted to retell or reimagine the ballad is because I was so intrigued as to why there was a third sibling and they just didn't do anything and they didn't feature in the story. That was fascinating. So, yeah, I mean, it, I will talk about this a bit later, but it was, um, you know, the idea of erasure and and how, you know, some people are erased from history and why are they erased from history? What was it about their identities that the dominant narrative has overridden. Um, so that is a really big part of Sister Song as well. Mm-hmm. So how did you conduct your research? I know that you said you read like a, a million different versions of this ballad, but what other kind of like world building research did you do for this? Uh, so the first thing was trying to, well, obviously I, I my first idea was, oh, let's write it is a secondary world fantasy novel, mm-hmm. which is where I came from because I've also written epic fantasy And then I, yeah, I felt like I wanted to grow a bit as a writer. And I also thought that it might be really interesting to choose a a real time period in which to set the story. Um, But I obviously hadn't decided which one that would be. Um, So I found, uh, I just got, I don't even know how it happened. I just got really interested in very early medieval Britain um, and uh, the great thing about this time period is that there's not a lot of information about it, which can be a boon um, because it means that you can kind of slot your story in there. And Right. It's it's hard for historians, but it's good for writers. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, so, you know, once I kind of settled on the period, I started doing uh, well, the Internet is an amazing, amazing resource. Um, particularly weird things like um, local archaeology sites, like by amateur archaeologists, because actually Sister Song is set right here where I live in Sidmouth, uh, in Devon. Wow. So it's mm-hmm. set so really cool. right here. Um, and it was in Dunbriga, which is the main settlement in Sister Song, where the, where the, all the siblings live. Um, that was inspired by about a mile and a half from my house, there's a up on Peak Hill. They discovered the remains of a Neolithic settlement. And on top of the Neolithic settlement were sub-Roman remains, which is it dates exactly to the time when Sister Song is set. So wow. conceivably, there could have been a Dumnoni settlement up there. The Dumnoni tribe controlled this area of Devon um, in the 6th century AD. And they were kind of itinerant, like they moved their capital around the area. And that this conceivably could have been one of the places that they had their capital. Uh, so I was really intrigued by that. Oh, look, oh, it's local that history. That is so cool. And you can just walk there easily <laughs> yeah, like yeah, in, yeah. A, in like under an hour. Oh, my God. That is so cool. I have like chills right now. Me too. Uh, That's awesome. Amazing. So that was part of my research. I went up there and stood on the hill and there's nothing there. It's just a hill and there's a bit of information. But I I had a look at the cliffs, you're right on the cliffs. And so, you know, one side you're looking out across the ocean and the other side it's forest and fields. And I just went up there and I did, uh, I came back down, I did some stream of consciousness writing just to try and get the feel of 
what this location was like at the edge of the world because that's kind of what it feels like for the characters mm-hmm. yeah oh my god wow so cool that's so cool oh jinx so you're obviously very versed in the fantasy genre so what's the importance to you of the fantasy elements in sister song um so the magic part of of sister song it's chiefly the magic in the book is is chiefly like the means of articulating one of the central narrative tensions, which is the conflict between Christianity uh, Mm -hmm. and the established paganism of the native Britons, which was a really, that kind of came slightly later in the novel process. And it really came from me reading about Gildas. Um, Gildas is uh, Mm -hmm. pretty much one of the only contemporary sources we have from this period. And his uh, his treatise on the ruin and conquest of Britain is not so much a history as a rant. Uh, he's <laughs> yeah, he's very angry. I'm so not that tracks, surprised. That I tracks guess, yeah. with his character in the book. He's an angry man, <laughs> and uh, he rants a lot about um, the state of Britain, how the Saxons are. Uh, the natives' punishment for not being very pious and not embracing Christianity as they should. He had a very big rant about Constantine, um, one of the British kings, as well as another four British kings. In fact, he devotes one entire half of this tract to insulting them and um, calling them all sorts of names. I thought he would make a great character because of that. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Wow. He probably didn't realize how much he was like discrediting himself by being like so violently opinionated. (laughs) So opinionated. Um, But it's funny it came back. I'm sorry, Gildas. You know, I know you're 1500 years dead, but you're a character now. (laughs) Um, (laughs) The the other part of the magic um, was, was also a kind of vehicle to like illustrate the bond between the king and the land, which is another really big theme in Sister Song. And obviously the disastrous consequences of forsaking the bond that we have with the land, um, which Mm -hmm. a reader pointed out to me later, which was not, this shows how everything is like subconscious, but they were like, oh, it's more relevant than ever because with, you know, in the era of climate change where, you know, Mm -hmm. humans are basically shitting all over the the world in which we live, um, which nourishes us. This is, you know, it is more relevant than ever that we recover what was lost And there is, you know, I feel like it's very important to remember that, you know, we are the world, the world is us, we come from the world and we come from the earth and to the earth we return and that kind of cyclical nature. And so I thought, you know, because paganism, kind of the idea of living as one with the seasons, like the sun, the moon, the stars, all of these, you know, and the earth itself these elements were so important to the native Britons, early practitioners of paganism across, um, well, across the whole region. That was really, really intriguing for me to kind of dig into. Um, and and also, you know, that again feeds into the, the Christianity, the encroaching um, Christianity and how, you know, that was not always a good thing. People who preached Christianity thought they were saving um, the natives. Mm-hmm. And they will, you know, native Britons were like, well, hang on a second, we've already got our own beliefs. Um, And, you know, they possibly don't sit very well together. Mm -hmm. So that kind of answered our next question about how do you balance fantasy with historical fact? It seemed like a lot of the fantasy came from things that were inspired 
or directly connected to historical fact. Do you have anything else to add to that? Yeah, I mean, the the facts are so scarce and or contradictory. Right. <laughs> that, yeah, it's as I kind of mentioned before, it's a really interesting period to to set a story in because I'm very interested and this kind of carries over with the rest of my work that I'm I'm still doing with with this this time period I'm really interested in the line where history becomes myth and you you can't begin to distinguish between the two of them and a perfect example of this is the Arthurian legend this time period is basically like squarely in Arthur time um I was quite careful not to belabor anything because I didn't the Arthurian myth is so powerful if you let it into your story it can kind of overtake um you know what you want to say so I was quite careful not to make too many references to that um, mm-hmm. but it, it's such a powerful like the legend of Arthur is so powerful that you know multiple nations have adopted it as part of their country's um cultural narrative um and it you know began with Geoffrey of Monmouth like in this country um but it you know it's amazing how powerful it became. This is a little like mini anecdote. I went to Glastonbury Abbey a few months ago to do some research. And um, the history of the Abbey is really interesting. At one point in the 12th century, I think, they there was a big disaster. Some of the Abbey crumbled and they ran out of money. And um, amazingly, like not soon, you know, after that, the, the monks were digging in the gardens and they unearthed these amazing skeletons. And the skeleton was a gra- of a grand man and a beautiful, well, as much as a skeleton can be beautiful, a delicate, <laughs> a delicate <laughs> skeleton lying beside him. And they decided that these were obviously the bones of Arthur and Guinevere themselves. Wow. Lying in Glastonbury sure. Abbey all this time. This whole time. Really. This whole time, amazingly. <laughs> like these people who, you know, we have no proof that they actually <laughs> lived and they're mostly just a folk story. But yeah, it was such a big deal that um, the yeah, the bones were removed and they were reburied in this lavish ceremony that Edward I came and a- attended um, like near to the end, about the beginning of like the 1300s or so. Um, and that was, it's amazing that like, you know, Obviously, the, the Abbey needed money. Lots of people came and donated money because this is where Arthur and Guinevere. But the fact that uh, the, the Arthurian legend is not history, it's not fact, but it's so strong and so powerful. And people want to believe it. Yeah. Um, yeah. That, you know, they make it's it's part of the fabric of Britain now. Mm-hmm. And I think probably most cultures have those stories that are not proven or like patently false i'm thinking about here in america some of the super false historical narratives we get taught in elementary school Mm -hmm. yeah absolutely getting to the actual characters in the book how did you conceptualize the three siblings and then also adding on to that how are their similarities and differences important and so with the with with reaver and cena who are the it's the sisters, the two sisters of the ballad title. Right. I began by using the kind of basic characters of, that they are. How are they described in the ballad? Um, identified those traits and then explored why each sister might have those traits. So, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. this is all part of trying to make them less stereotypical. Um, you know, there's always two or in this case, three sides to every story. And, right. you know, for example, um, you know, the bitterness in Riva, the, the older sister, 
you know, she is described as bitter, as, you know, in some of the ballads, she's jealous. Um, there's obviously a darkness in her. And I wanted to, you know, think about that and how it could be more nuanced. And, you know, Reva, Reva had a really tough hand, you know. Um, she had a, had a terrible accident when she was young. It's left her with disabilities and, you know, she's shunned in some respects by the people around mm. her. Um, they don't like how well, how she looks, like how her injuries have made her look. Uh, they've made her feel like, you know, she's not ascribing to the perfection that a young princess, you know, that has to ascribe to. So she becomes, I thought that there's there's got to be a reason why you know this the seed of this jealousy where did it where the seed of the rivalry between the sisters where did it come from and with her um i thought it's got to come from somewhere that you know somewhere very yeah, deep very real trauma real trauma i mean it's physical trauma and then it's mental trauma and emotional trauma um from li- having to live in a society with such strict gender roles and assumptions about how women should look and what women should do and then, you know, on the other side, the innocence of Cena, who is the younger sister, who is always described as the wronged character, like that she's the victim. She didn't do anything wrong. It, her only crime was to be beautiful, all of this stuff. And I thought that, that for me ended up becoming, you know, the immaturity of a slightly spoiled child who right. was the youngest, who really had been spoiled. She'd been given everything she always wanted. She didn't have... Um, you know, Reva's problems and her difficulties. She chafed, yeah. She chafes against, like all the siblings do, all the children of the king, they all chafe against the rules of their society and the the, the kind of bones of the cage that they're locked in. So um, to speak. But, you know, she... <laughs> So just being yeah, sorry for using the phone. <laughs> <laughs> the bars, the bars of the cage. <laughs> Slightly less of a car. Yeah. Um, so those, so those two. Uh, that's where I began with that, trying to dig down, you know, past the just, you know, like you're lustful and jealous, you're chaste and innocent. I wanted to find out like what traits those actually were, where they came from. Um, for Keen or Constantine, um, to you? Yeah, I feel like um, we've been ducking around his character because yeah. I don't want to. I don't want to spoil anything, but I, but then I think he makes it pretty clear on like page three that he is trans, and like mm-hmm. there's not really so. ever any question about it, so it's not really a spoiler. No, no, and to be honest, like for me, Sister Song has been out. Um, it was published in the UK in 2021 in April. So, mm-hmm. um, yeah, my God, like almost two years ago. So oh my I gosh, kind of, congrats. I know, I just don't know where the time has gone. It's like, it's weird. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so Constantine, yeah, so I'm, I'm just going to call him Constantine because, yeah, yeah. Uh, Keen, um, which you'll find actually on the blurb of the book, but yeah, hey, spoiler, right. Constantine is uh, his name by the end of the story. Mm-hmm. Um, Constantine, yeah, a little bit more complicated because this is the person who was missing from the ballad and mm-hmm. it's a difficult one because a lot of people say that sister song he, he is the main character of sister song i and totally agree yeah i would agree as well but the kind of irony also is that he is still in he's still invisible in the ballad because the ballad is a binary song like it's it's the 
it's actually a horrible I I do recreate the ballad in Sister Song and it is a horrible mm-hmm. song and it, it doesn't tell the truth it, it's literally just about a murder it's not fair it doesn't portray either of the women in truthful or at least in three-dimensional terms and I wanted to kind of echo the fact that Constantine is not part of that um, yeah. he, he belongs to a better world you know a world that is forward-thinking forward-looking that is embracing um, or every different identity and is not you know, is not prescribing the people that, or the roles that we should play as, you know, when we were, when we're just children. Mm-hmm. And yeah, it was a journey of discovery because, uh, I mean, I, I'm cisgender. I don't have, I don't share Constantine's experience, life experience. Um, so it was a journey getting to know him and figuring out what I, how I could tell his story. And I, I did my own bits of research for that and I have a couple of friends who were very very helpful early on in the book and really was so kind to share their insights um my sensitivity reader she's wonderful she's a a transgender historian I learned an absolute ton some of the transgender history in the book wouldn't be the same without her insights so I was so lucky to find her and so so happy that she agreed to to sensitivity read for me um but yeah I mean I suppose Obviously, Constantine was my favourite character to write because it's wonderful writing. A, it's right, wonderful writing any sort of human being who discovers themselves and and blossoms and and fights and achieves what you know we all deserve, which is to be ourselves and to be recognised, you know, as who we are and and lauded and 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 respected for who we are. So yeah. I mean that is that was very close to my heart and you know I was really wonderful to go along the journey with him. His story particularly in the third act I was just like weeping. I was I remember I was nannying when I was reading it and I was like I hope they don't come home and find me just like blathering on their couch because it's hard to explain to people who don't read, you know. <laughs> it's like <laughs> sorry this book is just really affecting me right now. <laughs> Thank you. Yeah, well, there's like an extra theme kind of running through the whole book is that it's the power of stories and, Mm -hmm. you know, the fact that we like to tell stories and stories have a life of their own. They outlive us by thousands of years and they always will. Mm -hmm. But, you know, their stories have power um, and it depends who's telling the story and you know about as, as to kind of what survives throughout the years um and it, you know it's really important to reclaim our stories it's it's important for women to reclaim their stories it's important for marginalized people to say well you know we lived in this time period we have always been here yeah you know there's that essay was it was it Cameron Hurley's essay we have always fought it was a. It just. I love. I love. We have always fought this idea of you know women. We've always been warriors. <laughs> you know, like we've yeah. always been here. There's. It's only the dominant narrative that has overridden the roles and the the very existence of, of people who've always existed. Um. So like that idea of reclaiming stories, reclaiming identities, reclaiming the truth of ourselves in the world is is like at the heart of Sister Song. Amazing. So is Constantine your favorite of the the three siblings in this book? I mean, it would be a lie to say, yeah, no, he, he's definitely my favorite. Um, <laughs> Me too. <laughs> definitely my favorite. 
but I always like to say because I feel like she she's probably the least liked of the siblings. I, I always like to give a shout out for Reva because she is dealt a really tough hand. And like Constantine, um, she really struggles with being different in a in a very unaccepting and intolerant world. Um, and she chooses to defy tradition. She trusts her instincts, and even though everyone tells her that those instincts are monstrous. Um, and, and she sees it through. She sees her choices through to the end. And that takes integrity um, and it takes, you know, self-belief. So I feel like giving her a bit of a shout out is, you know, I always like to do that. Honorable mention. Yeah. <laughs> she follows through on her choices way farther than I yeah. would ever have dreamed someone would. <laughs> yeah. uh, it was very shocking, uh, which is, uh, you know, no spoilers, but the end of her story really shocked me which is cool i love when a book just really catches me by surprise i'm like okay we're doing this all right so on the flip side of you know kind of some of your favorite characters which character did you hate the most okay this would be easy to say gildas yeah but but i think he's a love to hate character Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. because i so enjoyed writing him (laughs) (laughs) i loved coming up with the like image of him gliding around as a kind of carrion bird (laughs) Uh (laughs) over you know people's joy i just he was actually really enjoyable to to develop as a character um just because he's so he's such a great antagonist and and, you know a great foil to um to murdin like they Mm -hmm. they kind of play off against one against the other yeah Um, i liked that dynamic a lot yeah they were they were great to to kind of great rivals yeah across the board um, I don't know. I I actually think the most like horrible in a way characters are like the king's um, Kados lords who are just so intolerant. Even when Constantine is standing in front of them saying, "I am king. It's my right. Uh, I am your lord. I'm going to give my all to preserve our people's lives and our traditions." And and they're still standing there going, "This is." You know, this is wrong. You're a woman, you know, and, and just trotting out like all these, yeah. you know, and, and and that level of kind of ignorance, I think, is in a way more dangerous than Gildas's active kind of, um, you know, defiant defiance. I feel like this this in a way is a defiant ignorance. Like, no, yeah. this is the way it's always been. And I'm conti- going to continue to behave like you don't exist and that you haven't changed anything. And unfortunately, it's that kind of character that un- that we see a lot, like a lot in the people around us. A lot, you know, it's, unfortunately. How- <laughs> it's a really horrible thing to say, but, you know, they're out there. Um, and yeah. they're, mm-hmm. they're exemplified by those lords who cling to what they know. Yeah, mm-hmm. I, I think for those similar reasons, I also had a really hard time with the mom, the queen. It's just like the unwillingness. It's like you're making changes in like the wrong direction with this Christianity thing. Girl. <laughs> Come on. <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, she's not. She's not a lovable mom. Definitely not a lovable mom. Yeah. She's cold. And that, well, that one scene with, like, Constantine and, like, the clothes was very... Oh, yeah. That was not a nice scene to write. That was... um, I'm sure. Yeah, that was really 
that was really an unpleasant scene. Um, I think I actually ended up toning it down slightly. I think the first version was just a bit worse. Um, I think Ugh. it was, and then I thought, I know I actually, like it's physically painful for me to write this. Um, so I kind of just made it, sli- I think I made her a, a bit more sympathetic as well in the sense that she does, she knows she's done wrong. She knows what right. she's done is wrong. Um you know, and I, I'm not sure if she was quite so sympathetic before then, but I thought it was important to know that she has this internal struggle. That there is a voice in her saying, I don't think what you're doing is a good thing. Um, right. You know, that was important to have um, because, you know, I think every character has to have a little degree of sympathy um, and also a bit of nuance. But it, it, mm-hmm. ultimately, she is also, you know, she's a headstrong person who sticks to her beliefs to the detriment of those around her yeah Yeah, absolutely um so you touched on this earlier but i definitely want to drive this home considering that this is women's history month um why is writing history from women's perspectives important i mentioned the need to challenge the dominant narrative already it is really important we're going through like this amazing um it's not like a recipe it's like a renaissance um it's it's this wonderful kind of movement with the reclamation of women's voices in, um, you know, established epics, stories we think we know. Um, I know Greek, everyone's doing Greek myth at the moment, you know, and actually it's almost almost too much. It's like, okay. Uh, (laughs) Yes. We've read Ariadne, Circe. uh, I know that, I know there's more than just those two, but those are the two that come to mind. Yeah. There's like a dozen Persephone retellings. Medusa. Mm -hmm, (laughs) People are very into the Persephone Hades as like a sexy thing right now too, which there's a lot of it, but I'm like, I'm still down. (laughs) I mean, yeah, I'm a massive Hades Town fan, so uh, <laughs> awesome. Yeah, I, I'm really into that. So, um, but yeah, uh, so so women's stories. Um, yeah, it's great. This is happening. It's it's really really wonderful to see, and I think it's very important to, you know, say, hang on a second. Like women are present in all all of these stories. Like Penelope, Odyssey's wife, like obviously a named part. Um, but uh-huh. you know, in the original Odyssey, what does she do? But kind of remain as a shadow figure far away and when we do get to meet her you know she's not had the best of times and really hasn't given she's never given any kind of chance to say what's actually been happening from her point of view yeah and if you think about the strength she must have had to endure all that time not knowing anything about her husband uh and the 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 tapestry is it's tapestry isn't it that she unravels every night to try and keep the suitors at bay. Oh, yeah. <laughs> that's, a, that's a clever... It's like um, Sherazade. <laughs> it yeah, is exactly the, like Sherazade. The Thousand and One Nights, yeah. Like, it's, it's really... It, she's obviously very clever. She's come up with this plan. But it, it's awful because it's also a plan of born of desperation, you know, because her husband's buggered off somewhere, yeah. you know, might never return. Yeah. Um, so I love that we're getting these stories. And, you know, I love that these these women are like, you know, hang on a second, we've always been here... Um, maybe it's time we get to have a, you know, I, I just think it's it's not only important, but it's also like it's extremely entertaining and vital. And and I, I just love reading their stories. It's not just like, mm-hmm. oh, this is something that must be done so we can have a broad understanding of women's stories. It's also right. they are exciting stories. I want to see women on the page. I want to see mothers, especially on the page. Mothers mm-hmm. have always been... Um, 
you know, a, a group of people who are unfairly dismissed in so, so many, um, you know, great kind of mythological tales. Like I always think um, Grendel's mother from Beowulf is oh a wonderful gosh. character, but like, does she have any time to shine? She's like, she she almost defeats Beowulf himself. And this is the great yeah. undefeatable warrior. And in the end, she's just like slaughtered like the yeah. rest of them and it's so it's kind of frustrating <laughs> but here was a great character you could have done so much more with her mm -hmm. that's so true yeah so do you have any advice for people who are interested in writing historical fiction I suppose you I'd say like oh read some historical fiction but that's actually, a great start that, that is a very good start but the, I was gonna say I don't actually read that much historical fiction wow I know, uh, it's it's bad. I should read more historical fiction. <laughs> um, I tend to read, I, I, I mean, I read a lot of speculative fiction because, you know, it's my genre and I run a podcast and our podcast is mostly focused on women in speculative fiction. But yeah, historical fiction, it's interesting because I'm, I'm trying to develop a workshop at the moment um, that looks at cross-genre writing specifically which, well, specifically historical fiction and fantasy and how to weave these two genres together and how they complement each other. So mm -hmm. it's difficult to say about advice for specifically historical fiction. Um, I quite, I think the, the exciting stuff that I've, well, the things that have excited me is like looking into my local area and finding out kind of, because there are some sort of, the thing about, you know, a time period and like what Wikipedia says about it is that you get a quite broad sweep of like what's been going on, but you don't really get the kind of really interesting details um, that you get on a local historical level. You know, yeah. things like visiting the Abbey and hearing the stories about Guinevere and Arthur, um, you know, me going, finding out that Peak Hill, a mile from my house, had this, uh, you know, a settlement there. And that sort of stuff is not, you know, you can't say sub type in sub-Roman Britain and Google will say, oh, there was a, you know, there was a sub-Roman British settlement like in Devon because you just can't find out that sort of stuff on these broad, you know, Google searches. So yeah. just the idea of like looking into rather than, you know, starting from a very broad place, how about, you know, you start from a very narrow place and expand mm -hmm. outwards? Um, because I learned a lot about the Saxon invasion just from focusing on how Devon changed, how Dumnonia, this area where I live right now, how it evolved, you know, over, you know, from from the departure of the Romans, you know, through to, you know, the, the invasion of the Saxons um, and that really turbulent liminal period where, you know, there was this vying for, well, it was vying for power. It was also the birth of a country. Um, yeah. and, but all of that came from a very local angle, like it, what it, what was happening right here, you know, where I live on this soil, what impressions um, have those kind of cataclysmic events left behind? Mm -hmm. So I feel like that's a nice way to kind of get into it. Yeah, that's it awesome. Probably makes the story you're telling so much more important to you because it is, I almost said it, it hits close to home. And it super literally does. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I guess that's where the expression comes from. <laughs> yeah, I hadn't even thought about that close to home. <laughs> um, is there anything else you'd like to say about Sister Song or about women's history and fiction in general? God, I think I feel like I've kind of talked for ages. I feel like I've covered quite a lot of what it's I wanted to amazing. say. It is a serious book. 
uh, I suppose it is a serious book. Um, but I also hope that it's, you know, I, I hate to use the word entertaining, but, you know, like it also is a fun story to read and it's it's yeah. got characters who you come to care about and, and that it's also, you know, um, maybe leads some people to have a Wikipedia page open at the same time and learning <laughs> a little bit about history as you go along. That's the best thing when you... You um you open a book and you're like, my God, this has made me interested to like just find out what else was going on at the time because I didn't know anything and all of that. I, I, that's a wonderful thing when you can enjoy a book, but you it also makes you think about like the wider concerns. Yeah, yeah I love that. Yeah. So a bit of a selfish question. Um, <laughs> are you working on any other book projects right now that we can be looking out for? Because we definitely are <laughs> yeah um so the next book is is waiting to be edited actually um it's taken me two years to write it um I, it's got it's been through a rewrite and i'm now waiting on the verdict so let's hope it's oh my gosh fingers crossed a bit more yeah. book shaped than it was the first time <laughs> um yeah it takes a really don't ever say you can write a book in seven months and just don't say never. that like don't say that <laughs> especially when you don't even have like a kind of like proper you know you have you have a 250 word concept and then you haven't really <laughs> sat down and asked yourself like what do you really want to do with that concept right the, uh, a book idea and a book could not be more different things <laughs> yeah yeah you, yeah it's it's very different um and it's been the most challenging thing i've ever written Wow. wow. Sister Song had a lot. It, well, it benefited from a lot of fallow time because I couldn't write Sister Song when I first had the idea for Sister Song. I had to, I was working on my trilogy. Yeah, it sat on a back burner for like many years, like four years or so. And wow. I never forgot about it. But I think that time, it allowed me to mature as a writer. It gave me, so, so by the time I started writing Sister Song, I had the skills to write it, which I mm -hmm. wouldn't have had at the, at before. Oh my gosh, that's so cool. No, I mean, it's, it is, it's really, it is really interesting, especially in the context of my struggles with the writing a kind of loose follow-up is that it's had no time. Um, mm -hmm. You know, the thing about publishing and, and the capitalist world in which we live they everyone wants you know you feel like i've got to be relevant i've got to keep writing fast i've got to like produce another book but art doesn't really work like that and ideas don't work like that and a lot yeah. of the you know stuff that really good stuff comes from like just lying fallow at the back of your mind for yeah. an interminable amount of time or however not necessarily very long um yeah. but longer than i thought uh, I could write the book in and um but it's okay because it's now well, you just years. take your time <laughs> yeah. you take your time we'll be it's, here okay uh, <laughs> it's coming out next year okay uh, wow. it, it should be here around spring this time next year um okay. in the US as well as in the UK I think they're going to be out at the same time uh it's called Song of the Huntress you can read cool. about it on Goodreads. That's the most up-to-date place. Um, Whether it hasn't got, uh, I've, I've seen, I've seen the UK cover. It's amazing. Um, I can't share it yet because it's not finished. Right, and they're still tweaking. But it's an amazing, amazing cover. Um, and it retells the story of the wild hunt, which is uh, a motif that lots of people have probably heard of. Um, it's yeah, the the story is just really, really fast. I mean, it actually, because you've read Sister Song, you'll know that Constantine tells the story of Herla and the Wild Hunt. 
Mm -hmm. An oh. as a mini uh -huh. story in the book. <gasps> oh my god. Constantine <laughs> um, knew what was gonna happen next all along. So we should have um, known. <laughs> yeah, I, I really well actually it was what gave me the idea. I was retelling the story, like, you know, as Constantine was telling it, and I was like, this would make a great novel. Maybe I should do this next. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks for I the did. idea, Constantine. <laughs> I did do it next. Um, but my my King Hurler is not a, an old British king. Um, my King Hurler is uh, well, she's actually a woman for starters. Uh, she's nice. an I, she's an Iceni war chief fighting against the Romans. Uh, she's the lover of Boudicca, and oh, she, okay, she's cool. Yeah, she's the one who, and she she makes a pact with um, the king of the other world, which you should never do. You should never make <laughs> pacts with the Fae right. or. Any I've read a couple fairies. different books about that. It never goes well. Oh, it does not go well. And um, <laughs> yeah, otherwise, you know, you get cursed and you you become the wild hunt and you have to ride eternally, reaping souls, um, which is, is all the wild time. hunt. Yep. <laughs> so if you don't want to become like an immortal reaper, um, <laughs> don't do that. <laughs> so, yeah, I really love the I love the story of Herla. I love the story of the wild hunt, the incarnation of the wild hunt, um, and all of the you know, all of the mythology that goes along with it. Uh, and I also wanted to write another historical novel. So this one is even more historical than Sister Song. Um, Sister Song, I realised that I kind of, um, yeah, I didn't I didn't do, I think if I redid it, I which I wouldn't want to, I'd probably put no. more history because I've learned there's a few things, there's a few mistakes I made. There's, I'm, I'm a bit better informed now uh, about mm -hmm. the period and how things worked. And this this book is set in around 705 AD, so about 175, mm. 180 years after Sister Song. But it's in the same world. Mm -hmm. If you've read Sister Song, there'll be some Easter eggs in there. Cool! Oh, nice. oh my gosh, I love that. Biggest biggest Easter egg is that uh, the main one. There's three main characters, but one of the main characters is the direct descendant of Reva. <gasps> oh. Oh, that's very exciting. I'm really I, excited. Yeah, I can't wait to read that. That's amazing. Um, awesome. Are are you reading anything yourself lately that you're excited about? I am reading. Oh my god, this book! <gasps> it's <Whoa>. gigantic. <laughs> A day it's of beautiful. is that? It's some oh. Shannon's book. It's um the prequel to Priory of the Orange Tree. I was gonna I was gonna say it looks it had the sim the cover has a similar yeah. tone, but I didn't want to look stupid and be like they're not related at all. <laughs> Have you seen how long it is? Wow. Wow that's a that, chunk. I, that's like Order of the Phoenix. That's like a that's a chunky one. It's it's like oh my god, it's so impossible to read. Um when when you're like lying in bed because I Oh my god, that's a danger zone. Yeah. <laughs> Drop it on your face, <laughs> knock yourself unconscious. <laughs> yeah. Um it's it's really good. Um I'm really enjoying it. I'm I'm in interviewing um, Samantha Shannon, um, the author, <gasps> in a week's time in oh, Cornwall. Um I think she's in the US at the moment doing her US leg of the tour for the book. Cool. Um, but I'm going to meet well, up with her in Cornwall, so I get to talk to her about it. It's really yeah. good. It's really good. I'm excited for you because, well, you know, it's fun to meet the authors you love. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. No, I'm. We're I'm doing it. It's happening fan. right now. <laughs> <laughs> it's very sweet. <laughs> so, Lucy, where can people find you on the internet if they want to connect with you? Um, I am on Instagram mostly. That's my that's my platform of choice. Um, I am on Twitter as well, which is now. Mm -hmm. Less my platform of choice. Right, yeah. Yep, yep, yep. yep. All musked up and horrible. <laughs> um, but it's uh, I'm I'm the same handle. I'm Sylvan Historian. Um Sylvan with an I, 
not a Y because some other person stole the Y. So I'm oh. <laughs> Sylvan historian everywhere. Um, I have a Patreon if you like to, you know, if you like my work so much that you'd like to pay me some money to carry on writing every month. I have a Patreon <laughs> um, and I, I post uh, extra stuff about the books and behind the scenes cool. things and research. So if you're into that, then check out my Patreon. That's really cool. Lucy, thank you so much for taking the time to chat with us today. It's been a delightful conversation. Oh, it's been so fun. I, I don't get to talk about Sister Song as much as I did a few, you know, like a year ago. So it's lovely to like carry on revisiting the book. Well, and yeah. I just love that throughout this conversation, we've been able to really feel your passion, you know, and that's really awesome having read it and felt the passion through the words. And you obviously put so much of yourself into it. And just thank you for writing it. Yeah. Thank you for reading it. <laughs> <laughs> and that's how you book. This episode was edited and transcribed by me, Christina Kahn. Our logo was designed by Michael Hardison. Our theme music was produced by Jason Hilton. Please check out the show notes for a link to the accompanying transcription and visit us online at Wildling Press on social media or at wildlingpress.com.